Once again, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. I want to welcome all of you, especially if you're a visitor. We're glad that you, you're here. And uh, once again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, there'll be a special announcement from the leadership team at the end of this message. If you're watching online, the, the live stream will end with my uh, prayer at the end of the sermon before the, before the announcement, but we will be uh, uh, making the announcement known uh, through various forms, letters, so on and so forth. But what we want to do now is turn our attention to the Word of God. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 20 and 21, but I'm going to read for us verses 16 through 21. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And um, if you're new to Calvary, um, it's helpful if you keep your Bible open. That way you can follow along as I'm preaching so as to see where I'm getting the points that I'm making, hopefully so that you can make connections between what's being preached and what God's Word says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ascribe to you glory and honor and wisdom and majesty and power both now and forevermore. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your Spirit, through your Word. God, incline our hearts to not only hear and to understand, but to obey, as Dustin prayed, that we would be not only hearers, but doers. God, we pray for those in our congregation who are sick. We pray that you would restore them to health. We pray that you would comfort them and Fill their minds with the truth of your word that gives us bearing in our hardships. We pray also, Lord, for other churches, both here and around the world, where your gospel is being proclaimed. Would you bless them and prosper them? And Lord, we pray that, that they would reach new people with the gospel and that your kingdom would grow, that Christ would be exalted in pockets and places where currently he's rejected. Lord, we trust you. We, we pray that you would help us to follow you. And we pray, Lord, that this morning your word would bring light into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, there was a movie, which I quite like, called 1917. It takes place in 1917, during World War I. And the basic story, if you've never seen the movie, that's okay. It's it's a story about a young man who's given a message. He's an English soldier, and he's told to deliver 
a message, and the message is urgent, and the path to delivering the message is fraught with danger, and he's able to endure hardship and deliver the message, and as a result, an attack is uh, called off and many lives are saved. The title of my message is Christ's Ambassadors, because that's the big idea. The big idea is that we are Christ's ambassadors. And in my message this morning, I want to explain what that means and how we do it so that we can not only know this fact, but we can live our lives appropriately. Now, unfortunately, when we think of ambassadors in our own context, we tend to think of government officials at a pretty high level that live in very nice houses and attend state dinners and enjoy all of the perks that come with being an ambassador. If you ever meet a United States ambassador, you're meeting someone at a high level of power. But when Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors, I think it, he means it more like the soldier given the message enduring the hardship to do his job than he does our own context of swanky, privileged, high-ranking, lots of perk government employees. But Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors. We see that in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there are a lot of therefores. If you look in verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And um, verse 17, Therefore, is anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Verse 20, Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. And so what Paul is doing is he is applying these great truths of theology that God has saved us through Christ, and he's applying it to our lives. The gospel changes the way we think about other people. Notice Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't think of each other in worldly categories. We think of each other in terms of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. By the blood of Christ, members of the same family. Paul says the gospel changes the way you think about other people. And then he says the gospel changes the way you think about yourself. Because regardless of your state in life, your job, whatever your business card says, or you don't have a business card, whether you rent or own, whether you, uh, whether you live in an apartment or a, or a house or or whether you are full-time or part-time, or whether you regard yourself to be educated or uneducated, Paul says if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have a noble purpose. The gospel changes the way we think about others. We regard them according not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, according to Christ, according to the gospel. And it changes the way we think about the man in the mirror, because you have been given a noble task. Paul says, you are Christ's ambassadors. You have been given a message, and you endure the hardships of life 
to deliver the message in a way that honors the king and results in the saving of lives. So how do we do this? Well, if you've got your bulletin, you see where I'm going. Four points, know the message, deliver the message, live out the message, trust God with the outcomes. Let's start with knowing the message. Paul says God has given us the message, verse 19, of reconciliation. He's entrusted to you the message of reconciliation. Probably all of us in here had the experience at some point in life of mom or dad or grandma or grandpa upon your receipt of your driver's license, hopefully. They entrusted you with the car keys. And that was a big day. You took those keys and you said, I won't let you down. I'll bring it back in one piece and no scratches or scrapes, hopefully. Paul says, you've been entrusted with something important, something eternal, something significant. God has entrusted you with the message of reconciliation. So the first thing is that you have to understand this privileged position you've been given. You are an ambassador for Jesus. You represent him as he reigns in heaven. He's not physically on earth, but we are physically on earth. And Paul says we are his representatives and we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. And so the first thing in order to be ambassadors is we must know the message. Notice the, the, the repetition of the word reconciled. Paul uses this word multiple times. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we employ you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. To be reconciled means to be made right. In the Garden of Eden, because of sin, a state of war began between us and God. That is, between humans and God, until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, by His shed blood on the cross, made peace between sinners and God, and we enter into that peace not by works, but by faith. And so at some point in your life, you experienced entering into the peace of reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the moment Paul is referring to when he says that we are new creations in Christ. There's a before Christ and an after Christ to every follower of Christ. Paul says at some point you came from death to life. At some point you went from rejecting Christ to receiving Christ. At some point you went from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And it was at that moment you trusted in Jesus that all of that happened. And in that moment you became an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ. And Christ entrusted to you the message of reconciliation. Corporations and organizations have missions statements. 
Uh, you might be sitting here thinking, what is the mission statement of my organization? Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. But if you are the leader of an organization, it's important that everyone in your organization knows the mission because the mission is what you're about. The mission is what you do. And as Christians in the Church of Christ, our mission is this message. Our mission is to tell others and to believe and to live out the good news that in Christ, God saves sinners. We see it in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The world. Now, does this mean that everyone in the world is reconciled to God? Well, no. Only those who believe savingly in Jesus are reconciled to God. What this means that no matter where you go in the world, there's only one Savior. There's only one who has died for you. There's only one who can forgive you. There's only one who is righteous for you. There's only one reigning in heaven. There's only one risen from the dead. Around the world, there is only one Savior. Jesus says this. No one, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father, that is to God, but through me. Jesus is saying, only I can make you right with God. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you were reconciled to God and you were given the message of reconciliation. So the first thing you need to do to be a good ambassador is know the message. Know the message. And it couldn't be any clearer than in verse 21. Look at verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the cross, as Jesus, a sinless man, a divine Savior, as he hung, our sins were counted against him. He became sin. He became the sacrifice for sin. He took in himself the penalty, the judgment you deserved so that you could receive his salvation, his righteousness, his peace. That's the message. And Paul is saying that message is our mission. One of the most dangerous things in an organization is something called mission drift. You ever heard that phrase? Mission drift. It will kill an organization. Because mission drift means that an organization stops understanding why it exists. And the church exists to believe and to proclaim and to live out the message of reconciliation. When someone comes to church, they should hear that in Christ, God saves sinners. So our job as ambassadors is to know the message and to be accurate. To be accurate. There is always the temptation to play fast and loose with the message so that the person we're talking to will be less offended or we think more inclined to believe. And Paul is saying, don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. Be faithful 
to deliver the message with accuracy. Number two, an ambassador of Christ must deliver the message. There used to be this old song we sang as kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You're not a very good ambassador if someone gives you a a message and you stick it in your back pocket. The value of a message is that it's delivered. And so fundamentally what Paul is saying is, brothers and sisters, we have received the benefit of a message and now our job is to deliver that message to others. Not to invent the message, that's good news. Not to figure out how to make it relevant, that's not our job. The message is the message and our job is to deliver the message and this requires boldness. Boldness is all over this passage, though the word is not. Look in verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. I'm sorry, not verse 2, verse 20. In verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. We implore you. If you look up at verse 11, earlier in the passage, Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, if I were to invite you to lunch, if I were to say, I want to invite you to lunch, or if I were to say to you, invite someone to lunch, you would know that your job is to go and say, hey, we're all going to, you know, the taco place. Why don't you come with us? But if I were to say, implore them to come to lunch, it's a different mental picture, isn't it? Imploring someone is urging someone. It's it's almost begging someone. If I were to say, implore them to come to lunch and persuade them, now you're not just telling them, hey, we're all going to lunch at the taco place. Now you're saying something like this, hey, we're going to lunch at the taco place, and I really want you to come. I really hope you'll come. This is a great taco place. You won't, you won't be sad that you came. They're the best tacos in town. They've got this amazing salsa. The prices are great. Now you're explaining to them not only the fact that you're going to lunch, but you're explaining to them the benefits of coming to lunch. Paul says, we're not in the business of just telling people something in some dispassioned manner. Paul says, we're in the business of imploring people, of inviting them so as to persuade them. Now, be very careful. Persuasion is not manipulation. If I persuade you to come to lunch at the taco place, I'm telling you all the benefits that will be yours if you come. But I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't say, yeah, and they give away a hundred bucks to everybody that comes in the front door. That would be lying. And Christians often make the mistakes of lying to people to try to get them to come to Christ when there's no need. Because the gospel that God reconciles sinners to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is good news enough. 
Paul says, deliver the message with boldness. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, that's not me. Sorry, pastor, you lost me there. I'm not the bold messenger type. Well, good news. Neither were the guys in the Bible. That is, until God made them bold. You read Acts chapter 4, and in Acts 4.21, it talks about how they were proclaiming the message with all boldness. And you go, who is this? Peter, John. You say, now wait a second, I've read my Bible. Aren't those the same guys that were cowering on the night of Christ's crucifixion? Aren't those the guys cowering in the boat in the storm? Aren't those the guys who denied Jesus, who ran away from Jesus, who didn't want to be associated with Jesus? One and the same. And you think, what happened to them? And the answer is the Holy Spirit came upon them. The same Holy Spirit that came upon you the moment you became a Christian, here's the point. You're not bold, but the Holy Spirit can give you boldness. It's the good news of the gospel. We lack everything. God supplies everything. God supplies the faith. God supplies the courage. God supplies the message. God supplies the opportunity. Paul says later to the Corinthians, he that sows is nothing, he that reaps is nothing. God even provides the increase. You say, well, what's my job? Deliver the message. Not casually, but boldly, God will give you boldness. Proverbs 28.1 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I encourage you to write this down. If you've not memorized anything lately, this would be a great verse to memorize. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Boldness is the consequence of righteousness. The more you know Jesus, the more bold you'll become. The more you walk with Jesus, the more bold you'll become. Righteousness breeds boldness. Sin will turn you into a coward. If you're walking in sin, you'll want to disappear. You, want any, you won't want anyone to see you. You will want to exist in sort of some ghost-like fashion. But boldness will give you courage. Boldness will give you courage to deliver the message and to deliver it in such a way that you are urging others to be reconciled to God. Boldness is so important that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says to the Ephesians, here's how you can pray for me. Paul says, pray that I would be bold. You see, more than anything, the church just needs to deliver the message with urgency, explaining the benefits of Christ, his glory, his sacrifice, his invitation, in such a way that we urge men and women to trust in Jesus, and we ask God to give us boldness. Now, there's something going on in this passage that you might have missed, because this might sound just all very 
normal to you. Getting a message, delivering a message in such a way that you explain the benefits. You might think, is this just a sales pitch? What is this? Well, notice what's going on here in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you be reconciled. So there's something mysterious going on when you tell someone about Jesus, about what he did, about how he's changed you, about how he is, is the means by which we can be reconciled to God. Paul says God is actually making his appeal through you. And you say, okay, now which is it? Am I, am I speaking or is God speaking? And the answer is God is speaking through you. God, Paul says, is making his appeal through you. This doesn't mean you're going to hear an audible voice. This means that it is the power of the Spirit to drive into the mind and the heart of the hearer the message that you're delivering. God will use you. God will empower you. So often we think, ah, if I try to talk to someone about Jesus, I won't quite do it right. I won't say the right things. I won't know the answers. And all of that is true. You will mess it up. You will get it wrong. You will make all kinds of mistakes in your life trying to tell people about Jesus. But Paul says, don't fear. God is at work in your act of faithfulness. God, mysteriously, the power of his spirit is at work in the mind and the heart of the people you're talking to. And I can promise you that this is true because I have preached a lot over the past 20 years. And, you know, once in a while there's a good one, but once in a while it's just a real bomb. And I'll think, boy, I messed that up. That was just a disaster. And I'll be standing by the door and someone will walk out with tears and go, God really spoke to me this morning. And I'll kind of look around going, were you, did you have an earpiece? Were you listening to someone else? Well, what's happening? Well, I'm speaking. But God's spirit is at work in the preaching of his word, in the proclamation of his word. God is doing something in your mind and in your heart through the simple act of preaching so that something supernatural is going on when the gospel is proclaimed. You see, we've been trained by the charismatic movement to think that something supernatural means something visible. But if you read the book of Acts, and I challenge you to do this, almost every time it says that the Spirit of God fell upon them, the very next thing that happens is they proclaimed the gospel. You want to do something supernatural this week? Proclaim the gospel. Tell someone about Jesus, and God will be at work in you and through you. Paul says, God is appealing through us. Next, live out the message. Live out the message. An ambassador of Christ must know the message, deliver the message, and live out the message. This is where this business of being an ambassador is not 
just about what you say, it's also about how you live. If you live in obedience to Christ, but never deliver the message, you've not fulfilled your mission. But if you only deliver the message with no thought to living it out, you've not fulfilled the mission. The mission is to deliver the message of reconciliation, the gospel, and to live it out. Notice what Paul says in verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just that we know about Christ's righteousness. It's not just that we proclaim that through faith sinners can be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. It's that we live out a life of obedience to Jesus. Holiness must accompany the proclamation of the gospel. You know, in most movies where there is a messenger that is delivered, that is delivering a message, they show up in a uniform of some kind with some kind of visible example that they are an official representative of whoever they say they're representing. Well, as Christians, we are citizen soldiers. We don't have uniforms. But the way we identify ourselves as representatives of the king is not just that we give an accurate, bold message, but that it is presented in a life that is consistent with the message we are delivering. This is why Paul says when he's talking about new creations, he's reminding us not to live according to the old man, the old ways, the old flesh, but according to Christ and the Spirit and the Word. Paul is saying, let let a life of obedience accompany the the delivery of the message. Live out the message. Be consistent. Notice I don't say be consistent perfect. Because you're not, and I'm not, and we're not. And until we are made perfect in the presence of Christ, each of us will struggle with sin. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And that's good news. Jesus is Jesus. But what we can do is we can make it our aim to, as much as it is possible, live a life that is consistent with the gospel message. You see, the powerful reality of being Christ's ambassadors is that you represent Jesus wherever you go. You represent Jesus walking the dog in the neighborhood. You represent Jesus out and about with friends. You represent Jesus on the golf course. You represent Jesus at the sports complex. You represent Jesus everywhere you go. And so Paul says there must be a life that reflects the glory of the gospel accompanying the proclamation of the gospel. When that is missing, the word the Bible uses is the word hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And hypocrisy will set up barriers with the person to whom you're proclaiming the message. And so Jesus says, don't cause others to stumble. Don't let your life be a barrier to their faith. Let your life be an invitation to faith because they hear this message of reconciliation 
and they see someone new who has been reconciled. Live out the message. Finally, trust God with the outcomes. Trust God with the outcomes. It's just a fact that we can't change a mind, we can't change a heart, we can't grant faith, we can't believe for other people. But what we can do is deliver the message, and what we can do is deliver it in such a way that we're living consistently with it. And so as we think about being Christ's ambassadors, what we need is a prayerful approach where we trust God with the outcomes. We're praying for boldness. We're praying against temptation. We're praying for holiness. We're proclaiming the message. And we're asking God to do what only God can do. We're asking God to open hearts and open minds and bring people from death to life. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. And then in verse 4, he says, but God made us alive. And so when you're talking to someone about Jesus who doesn't believe in Jesus, spiritually they are dead. You ever talk to somebody and you go, man, this is falling on deaf ears. It's not falling on deaf ears. It's falling on dead ears. But Paul says God has the ability to bring what is dead to life. And so God can take your feeble, half-hearted attempts to share the gospel and use it to produce the miracle of resurrection. Something dead can come to life. Someone can be born again in your midst, and God has the power to do that. We don't. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, Jesus says, a person in order to enter the kingdom must be born again and it is the Holy Spirit that brings about the new birth. So let me, in closing, leave you with a point of application. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. That's a great prayer. You might be sitting here going, I hear it, I get it makes sense, but you feel like there's this massive barrier between you and actually living it out. A good place to start is to pray, Lord, open a door that I might proclaim the message. And even right now, you might have someone in mind. Open a door with my friend. Open a door with my neighbor. Open a door with my coworker. Open a door with my child. Open a door with my grandchild. There's someone in your life that God has given you unique access to so that you can fulfill your mission of sharing a message accompanied by a lifestyle so that God would expand his kingdom by seeing someone come to faith. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make it so. Make it so that we are bold. Make it so, Jesus, that we are controlled by your Spirit and deliver the message. You've given us the message. Jesus, help us to deliver it. Holy Spirit, give us boldness. I pray for each of us an open door. Maybe today, 
to share the gospel of reconciliation. Heavenly Father, if not for Jesus, we would not be reconciled. We'd be your enemies. We would be under wrath and condemnation bound for hell. But because Jesus bled and died for our sins in our place, because of the power of your Spirit bringing us to life, we have been made alive. We've been made your children who were once your enemies. So God, I pray for the joy of the gospel to give us boldness to proclaim Christ. We commit this church to you. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.